Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm your host, SBJ, and with me today, as I adjust my volume here, I say volume funny, by the way, I have Alan. Hey, that's me. Random fact number two, I have a small birthmark on my right ass cheek that I discovered when I was five years old. True. First impressions. Down the drain. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, the birthmark is of a half crescent moon. So I don't know. That's kind of fun. The chosen one. I'm the chosen one. That uh, that delightful laugh you heard is one part. Is it one? Is it two people at at your game company? I don't even know what your game company is called. You guys made like two games, monikers and an expansion. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is my name's Alex Haig, and I make the game monikers and I am one of two people who do with my uh, with my friend Justin Vickers. We got the better half here. Lovely gentleman. I don't know that either. I'm just making blatant claims. Uh, Welcome, Alex, to our show. I don't know if you've listened to us before, but here you are. I'm a a longtime listener, uh, first time guest. Oh, wow. (laughs) Alan, I know right now is blushing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a huge... So, all right. So, truth behind the man behind the curtain, which is behind the secrets of everything, is that I'm a huge fan and friend of Alex Haig. It's probably not mutual, but I consider Alex one of my best convention friends for sure. I always look forward to seeing Alex. Uh, And luckily, it's really easy to find you, sir, because how tall are you, Alex? Um, I am six four, which I guess uh I guess I like my head sort of like, you know, kind of You also uh, have gorgeous hair. Let me crush on you a little bit. <laughs> Go super on. good looking dude, super tall, and has gorgeous hair that is also tall. So he's he's really easy to find. You just scan the audience and you'll find Alex Haig's head. And then you run up, give a big hug, and yeah, it's been great. It was one of those instant connections i felt that when we first met each other in person we had already been talking online but sparks were flying in my eyes it was like oh my goodness this is total connection as far as games theories and just general affability i just really think you're a cool dude so sean and i both really crush on alex and anytime we're at a show we always make it a point to spend at least some time with alex and every time we leave we always think man that guy so good. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the uh, the feeling is definitely mutual. Yeah, I um, so long backstory is that before we even published monikers or even did a Kickstarter for it, um, Alan was really one of the first people that that sort of outside of our core group of people tested the prototype that we had of it, and really like his his feedback was was so helpful and so instrumental and in, like just us making the thing. I think it just, you know, I I don't know if I've even told you this, but like it just came at a moment when I think like we were feeling a little down about the entire project and just hearing how, yeah, how excited you and the group you played it with were like, I mean, it just totally like, there were like a couple moments where we were like very, very doubtful about like, is this something we want to do? And like just getting that feedback from you was something that like, you know, helped make the project reality. So like you reached out to me, if I remember correctly, and yeah, I was I was looking into basically like this was right during the Kickstarter process and looking into interesting Kickstarters and people who had done what I thought were really, really, really top quality Kickstarter projects. And so it was you and a few other people that I think I had reached out to. And in the Two Rooms and Boom Kickstarter, I just thought was fantastic and like was a game that I had always meant to play. But I'm just like, I tend not to be a huge like con person or con game person. And so like it was unpublished at that point And like between that and like, I don't think I could ever wrangle like even like, you know, half the number of people I would need for a full game. Cause my gaming group is normally around like three people or so. And so I was just, you know, I was so, so interested in like what you guys had done. And then also just, um, what you had done with, with the Kickstarter. Let me paint the picture a little Let bit. Let me stop you, Alan, because we haven't even gotten past introduction. I was just going to say <laughs> he sent a gorgeous prototype that was covered in that string that was red and white. It was just beautiful. It was the best prototype anyone's ever sent me to playtest. It was amazing. So this is this is I know I have to I have to wrangle you in sometimes, otherwise you guys would have kept going. <laughs> this is a podcast about board games, tabletop games, games you can play on or under your table. 
Like I said, we have Alex here, one half of Monikers. That is how Alan and Alex met. This is hard because you both have A names, so I have to like think. A team. A team. No Sean this week again. He's dead. He's, he's still dead. So our show for you guys today is a little bit different than normal. Well, I guess like we don't have that good of a structure of a show. We went through introductions. What we're going to be doing is really we're going to grill Alex here about monikers, the process. Oh, God. About some other You're going stuff. going down. I didn't play anything this week. Uh, I don't know if Alex played anything, but Alan did play some stuff. But I wanted to bring up Secret Hitler again just because that is what everyone seems to be talking about on the internet or just in gaming groups and I think Alan said he played with eight people so a little bit more so I just wanted to get his impressions of that especially because I think a lot of when when people talk about board games they talk about their first playthrough and how they love it and I think that it's always important to talk about that second playthrough or that third playthrough or that fourth because as we discussed last week or weeks before sometimes that that new shiny toy wears off really fast when it comes to board games in my opinion you're a smart man because that totally happens i can name very specific games that i loved then hated <laughs> awesome let's start with grilling here alex I'm, I'm pretty sure monikers is the first and main game that you've made yeah it is it is the first game that we published um and i i guess is the only who is, is the only thing who we've is actually... we paint me a picture oh, so... how did how did your company form gotcha so it was uh so it's me and my friend justin who we've known each other forever we went to college together and so we've always kind of wanted to work on a game project and i remember um you know moniker sort of came out of our love of this like folk game that's called celebrity or fishbowl or the hat game or all sorts of other things and it was just sort of something that we always played casually at new year's parties and things like that when all of our friends would get together and so making monikers sort of emerge out of us wanting to do more and more customized versions of that game. And so we finally just kind of decided to do it one day because we had we had already generated so many cards that basically we had we had made half the game minus, you know, say the graphic design and packaging and, you know, all of the other nightmare things that you don't know about when you sign up for publishing a game. Sure. Yeah, I I originally played monikers as a quote-unquote print-and-play where everyone just rips up paper, writes something on, throws it in a bowl. I was introduced, I was called, I was told it was called Fishbowl when I played it, and I absolutely hated it. Dum dum right? dum! It's, yeah, it's, um, I'm really curious to hear about your experience, because I have had a lot of great experiences doing it, but they're very, very, very variable based on who's playing, how much time people have to write the names and sort of how much creativity the room has during the process. Cause like our problem was just like you play with the wrong group and it's like, there are like 20 Barack Obamas in the, like in the hat or whatever. <laughs> I'm a sucker for presentation. I'm a sucker for rules. So right off the, like I never do print and play when, when Alan and Sean did a, did the print and play for two rooms in a boom. Like I've already, I already played two rooms in a boom at that point. I was waiting for my copy and, it was, I had zero interest, even though I loved Two Rooms and a Boom, and I hate saying that because I, I'm sure Alan gets all giddy, but <laughs> I just had, I have no interest in print and play games. Um, so when somebody introduced me to quote unquote fishbowl, they ripped up the paper and they were like, okay, write three or five people or celebrities or famous people and put them in the bowl and we're going to do this game. And they explained it. And I think everyone at this point, if you've played monikers, it's the same game except monikers is better and i'll get to why i actually like monikers i used to work for apple and so in the room i think there was 10 people and i would say eight of them worked at apple out of the out of the 10 and i don't know if you guys know who phil schiller is <laughs> i believe i've seen keynotes where he is presented right good it, old phil Schiller. no i don't know him i'm sorry guys if if you are if you work at apple you obviously know who Phil Schiller is, but anytime Apple does a keynote of like introducing the new iPhone or whatever, Phil Schiller is on the stage probably as much as Tim Cook or in the past Steve Jobs. And so of course, with a bunch of Apple people, Phil Schiller was written on the list and all these other names were written on the list. And my problem with it is every time I like pulled the name, it was like Cameron Diaz. I don't know who that is. Like I, I've heard the name. I think she's in Shrek maybe, but I don't know who that is. And so it was just a difficult game for me. But the the thing that turned me off is one of the, the, the girl who introduced us to Fishbowl, she pulled Phil Schiller out and she got so, she went from like 
having the the best time in the world to now having the worst time in the world. And she freaked out on the whole group that, who wrote this? I don't even know who this is. This isn't even a famous person. Is this one of your guys' inside jokes? Like, this isn't funny any... Like, this isn't funny. This game's not fun anymore. And just went off on us. And I was like... You ruined the game! Oh, God. My, 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 my nightmare is, like, thousands of people in the world thinking about that, that about us. And <laughs> I was like... Get, like, a card that's, like, vocal fry or something random <laughs> that, like, probably, like, 20% of the people who, like buy a copy don't know what it is we just played it yesterday and vocal fry was one of the cards it was so fun especially when it was one word because we just said like <laughs> <laughs> makes me so happy so that was my um, that was my like i never want to play this game again kind of thing <laughs> the scariest moment for that for me was i so i live in brooklyn and i was playing with a bunch of people and i think it was a christmas party or something like that and some of the cards in there i think it's somehow kind of serendipitously the anthony wiener and the carlos danger cards got included and multiple people that were playing the game were like people that had been on his campaign staff and it was like i think it was like really really soon after like the second controversy or something like that so they're just like the you know one of the people would just pull it and they would just like get this look this like ashen look on their face it was actually kind of hilarious <laughs> <laughs> so flash flash forward to the monikers kickstarter which i do want to ask you how that went and everything but i went from you know only playing fishbowl once and absolutely hating it as you could tell from my story to looking at monikers breaking it down to understand i don't know if you if you said in the kickstarter that it was based on fishbowl or celebrity i can't remember but like quickly identifying that okay this is what this game is but what really the reason i backed it and the reason that i have played it since then is because of the because of the production quality and the art and the cards and everything that you guys put into it i was like i had a bad experience but now that we're that now that I've seen this art, I've seen this production, I've seen everything, like, this is something that I definitely want to give another chance to. And I think it's just because of the the, the passion that you guys might have had in it. But um, tell me about the Kickstarter. How did that go? How did, when did you guys decide from, you know, playing this game to then making a Kickstarter and actually trying to produce your first game? Yeah, so I mean, I guess, like... There wasn't, I don't think there was any sort of flashpoint about when we kind of decided to go from like, you know, just sort of like doing an ad hoc with friends to doing a Kickstarter, just sort of like slowly accumulated and like, you know, at some random point that like probably seemed memorable at the time, but it's like lost to history. Like, just like we're like, oh, we should probably like do a Kickstarter and make this if like our friends like it, other people probably would too. Um, but which seems like kind of the backstory to for a lot of casual or party games that were coming to Kickstarter around that time. Maybe maybe now, given that like tabletop is so big, um, people sort of like immediately start out thinking, hey, I'm going to like, you know, really, really sort of like buckle down and make my first game. And it's going to be a Kickstarter rather than like kind of just doing it as a thing for your friends at first and then having it sort of emerge out of that. But so that was the process towards that. But the I mean, the scary, the really scary part was just how do you get an audience for your first Kickstarter? And there's not really a good answer about how to do that. Um, and so one of the things, one of the sort of weird hacks or whatever you want to call it that I did was uh, I just kind of like asked a bunch of people to help contribute like a name to the set that, that I really liked that were like sort of like internet weirdos like I am. Um, and thinking like, hey, it would be really, really fun to like kind of collaborate with this person. But also like maybe if they like give us a shout out on Twitter, it'll like help, you know, get the word out about this thing where like, you know, my entire career has been sort of like doing kind of like, you know, design, uh, fundraising, nonprofit stuff. And like the sort of tools that exist for that are not the same things that kind of get you traction on Kickstarter in general. And so that was one of the things that really helped out with um, with like getting the initial audience for Kickstarter. And then just, um, you know, I guess what we found out later is like something people try really hard and desperately to do, which was getting featured on Kickstarter's weekly email, which, um, which got us, I would guess maybe even, you know, a third to a half of our backers were probably it from totally that helps for sure. What's, what's the yeah, secret there? Yeah. We got it for world championship Russian roulette. And the day we got that all of a sudden, <laughs> 
whole bunch more backers. Does Kickstarter so. just handpick that, or do you have to like email them and like, hey, can you? We have this game. Please email your people. I think, I mean, so I have become friends with a lot of Kickstarter people at this point, and it sounds like it's just totally meritocratic. Like they just sort of get together and like, what are the three projects we want to highlight this week? Um, and I think we got lucky because there, the other two projects that they chose to highlight were one was like the return of reading rainbows. So it was this big, like tentpole thing that was happening. Butterfly in the sky. <laughs> and then, uh, twice as <laughs> then a Paul Giamatti movie. Um, and then they they must've been like, fuck, all right, how do we, how do we like, how do we sort of like highlight something smaller? Why don't we like get somebody who hasn't done a, has, this is their first Kickstarter. That is like total incomplete speculation about how it worked, but I would assume some conversation like that happened and we just sort of got lucky. That's really cool. What about, what about the, the art aspect and the production of the game? Was that you and your partner doing the art or did you outsource that? And Talk about, can you talk a little bit about the production after that? Sure. So I I pretty much do all the design work for the game, and I I had done the the layout of the cards. Um, I did a draft of the card back, which ended up being the actual card back to sort of my horror. Even though, like, I don't know, it it, it seems to get a lot of compliments, but it's like the one. Thing I love it. It's like I, I love. Oh, it. oh God, I love to hear that. But like, it's just. It's something that still kind of stresses me out because it always was meant to be temporary. And so, and so, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, sort of along the same lines of like, I'm just going to use this project to work with really talented people. Um, I'm just like, what if we, you know, so one of the aspects that of monikers that I think really elevates it above sort of the folk versions of the game that are out there is that, there are um, there's like a paragraph of clue task text on each card that sort of like helps contextualize and intends to have like little jokes about the about the name that you're giving. So in some ways, like it's kind of helpful during a round because you could hypothetically just read it off. But really, like the fun it's people have is just sort of like, oh, OK, see, I, I think of it as like. When I think of it, I think of like, oh, it's just sort of a funny thing to read between rounds or something no, like no, that. No, like, like, let's be really clear about this. SBJ's main complaint about fishbowl or celebrities or whatever you want to call it was someone not knowing who it is. And it's only because of the descriptions that makes, well, not just only, as SBJ said, the art, the production value is amazing, but the descriptions are what kick it to a classic game of all time. Like, this is successfully destroyed fishbowl because it's become an educational game. I didn't know. Ahmed Mohammed. I knew that there was some kid that made a clock and got in trouble because the school thought it was a bum, but I didn't remember his name. But there it is, Ahmed Mohammed. What? And if the description wasn't there, the game would have ended pretty much right there and then. So it's that. So sorry. Continue, sir. Oh no, no, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's yeah, that's fantastic. So so yeah, the other idea was why don't we just sort of have illustrators that I've you know, that I've been interested in working with and, and like their work, why don't we have, say, you know, 5% of the set or something like that, just be illustrated cards for cards that, you know, ne don't necessarily need a lot of supporting text, like a cat lady or Lady Macbeth or something where pretty much everybody is going to know what the clue is. And even if not, if it has some visual component, that's like a shorthand that like, you know, Lady Macbeth's a good example because, uh, you know, uh, Gemma Carell illustrated it so that, you know, she's sort of like standing there looking at her hands are sort of like dripping blood and like the sort of like, here's a, here's a suggestion as to how you could potentially give a charade for Lady Macbeth. So I think the most successful illustrations and monikers go along those lines, but then there are other ones that are just like, it would be really fun to have this person draw Bernie Sanders. Can I ask a really quick question? Because my Tuesday night game group have been debating this and they've been arguing are, you the asking, latest yeah, are, we going to include, are we going to include a Phil Schiller card <laughs> in the next expansion? No, the it people is not have been that question. The question is this. We were playing the expansion something, 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 which is your second expansion, right? Yep. The first expansion was Moniker Schmonikers, but we were playing something, something, and there's a card in there by Maureen O'Connor. And most people thought it's just a picture. Most people thought it's a picture of an elephant trunk. And 
I thought, of course, it looks like it's a penis. It looks like some type of unhealthy penis. But what is it a picture of? Do you know offhand? Do you remember what that card is? That is the joke. Um, it is, ah, God, I've always referred to it shorthand as the penis eel. But it is some species that was discovered last year, I believe, in Brazil. Yeah, I knew it. I yeah. was telling you, if you some if, type of slug. It's not an elephant trunk. And they're saying, dude, it's an elephant trunk. I'm like, it's not. It's something else. Argument ensued. And we're like, all right, well, good thing I know the creator. I'm going to have to ask him. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's actually an interesting. Uh, there are a couple of interesting stories behind that. But so one of them is that I, you know, I mean, I really didn't want to obviously like use the photo without permission. And so it was some like conservationist in Brazil who took the photo. And so I emailed I found the academic paper where, where it was sourced. So I emailed the guy there, but it was some like Danish guy or something like that, that was not the person that took the photo, but could get me in touch with the guy who had. And so he got me that guy's email address. I emailed that guy and he like quotes me some sort of semi astronomical rate for like using, I'm like, Oh man, this is like, this is like a small card game. We can't like pay you this amount, but what if I, what if we gave you like a hundred dollars? That's what we give to all of our illustrators. And so we're using it on a single card like that. Would that work? And he's like, yeah, that works. And so I ended up mailing this guy a hundred, a hundred dollars in cash in the mail to some like random address in Brazil. For that one card. For that one card. I mean, look, wow. when you work with the collaborator, you really like they, we, we truly like when we work with someone, we're like, it can literally be anything. If you want to like do something really, really stupid, just to like totally like take the piss out of the game, like you could do that and we will print anything. And so that <laughs> one was like, Maureen was like that, you know, this is the one that I want to do. So it's like, all right, well, what's that? Can you, it's, I want to hear about your, your printing process and, and how that worked. I mean, some people here took two years to make a game, but I, I believe those assholes <laughs> I believe. Do- <laughs> moniker is shipped pretty quickly yeah i, I for a kickstarter yeah i don't is, this is this is where alex pissed me off because his kickstarter came well after ours fulfilled well before ours right so thanks alex <laughs> also thanks and amazon really fast too so maybe this is like one of the few things that i can actually say i'm pretty good at because my background is in is in like working in the NGO world, specifically like doing sort of like design and, and campaigns and things like that for, for small nonprofits. And so I'm really used to, um, so I helped start this organization called Kepler. Um, that's like an online offline university in Rwanda. And basically one of the things that I do every year is I organize the annual campaign. And so I like do everything related to like creating all the like assets and deliverables for this and like get it shipped out in time. So like from, every aspect of the design process to the production process and the mailing and everything like that has just been something that like I've kind of learned to do on a slightly smaller scale than monikers, but it was at least in the same ballpark. So I was sort of like ready to do it. The, the X factor of course, being like dealing with, um, the, the sort of like Chinese factories and the various layers of intermediaries between that, which is, was obviously something new. And to be clear, Sean and I had zero experience doing any of this stuff. So let's just just putting that out there. I mean, right, yeah, I mean, well, for two rooms <laughs> at Moom, like you guys had really, really interesting constraints. And like you guys sort of held true to your values of like wanting to print on plastic in order to provide the best possible like user experience for players. And some people, I think, would just, you know, just didn't want that, you know, would have preferred, I think, like a worse user experience and less high quality cards and like you know i don't really know what you do in a situation like that because like i think you guys 100 percent made the right call but um but yeah it's a this tough is why we're friends this is why we're friends. Yeah. thank you i'm just looking at monikers here you had two thousand backers with fifty six thousand dollars you also did what i what i call like the cards against humanity approach where you only have like one tier uh you just had the 25 tier but then you also had the 300 dollars tier for what was that? You get a, a name in the set. Yeah, basically, like you can name a card in the set if you pay $300 and inexplicably nine people did. <laughs> and one person canceled that pledge like literally like 10 seconds before the campaign ended, which was really annoying. <laughs> but overall, though, obviously the Kickstarter was a, su- a success. 
monikers I think is still on Amazon. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I saw monikers in Target also like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, clearly everything has worked out for you. Yeah, it's doing pretty well. Like it's um, we have generally been able to stay in stock. Um, we've been like out of stock a couple times, but like, yeah, we've been we've been shockingly like steady state in terms of the amount of sales that we've had since the beginning. Like it's a little higher than it used to be, but like we're just sort of like chugging along. And then, yeah, we basically worked out a deal late last year to get the game into Target stores this year, which is obviously sort of like, you know, an order of magnitude more eyeballs are going to be on that than just finding our Amazon page. So, right. Yeah, that was that was pretty exciting. It's weird because like there are just there are just a lot of copies out in the wild now. And like, I'll like mention the game and like occasionally people will hear about it and will have heard about it except, you know, you know, maybe a year ago it would have been like one out of every hundred people would have heard of it. And now like, there's like a, you know, there's like an okay chance that someone's heard of the game. Is it, is it weird being on like a target store shelf? And I say that because my impression of people who go to target and maybe are possibly interested in like, oh, let's do a board game night and have a pizza. And they go to Target and they're lo- to me, they're looking at Monopoly. They're looking at Cranium. They're looking at, you know, all these other games. I'm trying to think of what else Target sells that's popular because I haven't looked at these games in, in years. Well, obviously they're up in their their board game game, but yeah, we're talking. You're talking the classics like right. the Payday or Yahtzee or say, just those mass payday? market games. Yeah, the mass market game. So you have you now have games like King of Tokyo, Monikers. I guess Ticket to Ride has always kind of been there. But my question Catan, is Catan. Yeah, Catan. Yeah. My question is: So Monikers is now sitting on the Target shelf. Does that make you think of what people see when they when they pick it up, or if they're going to pick it up, or if they're going to look at the box and not know what it is, or do you, you know what I'm saying? Like. Oh, yeah, yeah. this was I mean, this was the exact thought process that we had, I think, going into it was like, are people that are just casually shopping at Target going to pick up this game and buy it? And like to that, it's like, well, yes, like the the packaging is pretty interesting and it doesn't really look like other game packaging. So maybe someone will buy it. But then when they get it home, it's like, oh, shit, like this game has like really, 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 really weird like Internet references. It's got like goatsy and like tub girl and then it's you know on the other end of the spectrum it has these like strangely highbrow things like marina bramovich and and like you know performance artists and stuff like that and it's like is that really going to translate to a casual target audience that like you said is sort of used to buying those other types of like classic games um and i mean apparently like it's been selling well like it's been selling above average for its category and we've seen a bump in our amazon sales from it so presumably the answer is yes but like that is something (laughs) that like we still yeah that we're still really unclear about like is the average target shopper going to like this bizarre very like internet culture steep game that we made sure speaking of the cards and some of them being weird and and out there is is there are there cards in the base set or even any expansions that you've almost regretted putting in and i say that because again not to bring up cards against humanity but yeah very popular very popular game they put in a lot of cards to offend a lot of people and that's obviously their gimmick but i think the second edition of cards removed all the rape jokes if i'm not mistaken yeah, they had there was like a big I think there I think the one that got the most media attention was they had some card that said like passable transvestites or something like that and they removed it and there was this whole sort of flap online because a lot of the sort of like anti PC or whatever people like made a big deal out of like hating the game now. Have is there any cards and monikers that have have stirred that hate or maybe a card in there that you're like, ah, maybe second <sighs> second pressing we're we're gonna take this one out? We have definitely done that. Um, I'm curious if there there are any like if there's actually some that you have in mind. Um, no, no, in- nothing. I, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I've only used half the moniker cards, maybe even like a third of the cards, because oh, wow. I can tell which ones are still new and which ones have been have been recycled. I just to me to get the most out of the game, it's okay if I see a card one or two more times in future plays because I'm usually playing with different people and there's different reactions. So. It's like I, I broke off the, the box and sections, so it's like, oh, this section's brand new, so I'm going to you know, spoil myself and put these new cards in, but that's, that's just how I played it. 
Yeah, I mean, there are a couple that come to mind. Like we, so actually, for the latest edition of the game, we've actually removed a significant number of cards. Um, and so the the really obvious one was Bill Cosby, um, yeah. which was like, yeah. So that was one where it was it was really funny because I remember like the thought process behind it was like, oh, we have too many like obscure cards. Why don't we just like put in like a classic one that's, no, you know, that's not going to be difficult or problematic at all. And so it ends up being Bill Cosby. And of course, that's like the first card that we have to take out. Um, was that before the scandal hit the news, though? Was oh, yeah, like- this was way before the scandal. Yeah, it was in the base set in like 20. 20- right or 2014 or whatever, whenever that was. I just um, learned last night that being Cosby'd is now a euphemism for being roofied. So Jesus. Well, mm. if it was still on the set, I guess that would make it into the clue text. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's that. And then like, there's just a couple that like, I just felt like mean spirited or something like there was like a David Foster Wallace one that sort of like made a suicide joke in a kind of like crass way. And we're just like, do we like massage this card and like, turn it into something else but it's like oh that is probably like what someone will reference related to it and so we took that out and there are a couple more like that but i don't think there are any that that's tough though because do you have virginia wolf i think i remember virginia wolf and other right i don't say highbrow there's like a sylvia plath one that's a suicide joke somehow it's like somehow like i don't know the like tragedy plus time thing or something like i don't know the david foster wallace one felt mean for some reason maybe it was just the writing on it and we could have fixed it um but yeah there's a sylvia plath one there's like a david carradine one like it's you know they're ones that are sort of like that do sort of go there a little bit but they i don't know they're just so funny (laughs) (laughs) I i don't know and maybe the David Foster Wallace one just is not that funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this, this whole conversation about they're just so funny. <laughs> anyway, I love it. Sorry. And I mean, there's also like the fact that like because people like draft cards at the beginning. Like if you don't think your friend group will enjoy stuff like that, you could actually just not yeah. have them. Um, I know a lot of people who like play it for families. Like they actually go through the entire set before they even like use it and take out some of them. So it's nice to know that like a lot of that work is, you know, a lot of the players are sort of like actively taking a role in that. Cause I would really, you know, I wouldn't really feel very good if it was actually people. Do you think you could, you could quote unquote family eyes make the game more friendly to families by in the deck box, putting all the, you know, safe for work cards on one side of the box and then putting all the, you know, deep we'll undercover put an icon on them. Yeah. Or, or deep un- undercover cards on the other side of the box. I just, I still think that's funny that code names has like adult version, but I mean, that almost seems like just putting a divider in is a real easy way of putting. Yeah. Oh. There's, there's probably a design solution there. I mean, one thing that people have done, right. Is, is created the like NSFW packs or whatever. I think Exploding Kittens did that and a bunch of other Kickstarters. It's it seems to have been a, a trend that started within the past year. I mean, I I don't like the separate product for a lot of reasons. Like one, it's hard enough to fulfill a single thing, getting back to the like one pledge level um that we had. Um, because I think like nearly all of the games that we ever do, I think will probably be along those lines just because it's yeah it's difficult enough to do that versus doing that plus pins and t-shirts and everything else but but yeah i mean there's there'd definitely be a way to do it on the cards if we ever wanted to probably like get into a store like walmart we would have to do that um but uh but yeah it's an interesting idea to sort of like add some sort of like color differentiation or icon that's i think if i was smarter that would have been something i would have done (laughs) (laughs) what about your your expansions you have two now what were what what was the thought process behind doing those just i guess it, it breaks down to let's just add more cards and make more money but is there something more to that i yeah i mean i just once we figured out that people you know there were several thousand people at the very least that like liked monikers and like playing monikers and wanted to continue playing monikers and like maybe they do it like a handful of times per year like the idea of having it be kind of a contemporaneous living card game was really, really appealing. And, you know, the what I think of as one of the huge advantages of a monikers over um, traditional, you know, sort of like write the name down on the card games, but also these sort of uh, previous uh, box versions of the folk game, like is that it's just 
much more contemporary and much more kind of just soaked in in sort of like whatever the like current like cultural zeitgeist is. Um, yeah, it's just very educational, as I said before. And let me just back you up because that's one of the coolest highlights of the game. One of my favorite cards in the new expansion wasn't a new reference, but an old reference, which just reminded me of how much older I am than most of my friends. It was Slim Goodbody. That's so why I get him like, oh, man, the host of Well, Well, Well. He had the anatomical suit. And everyone looked at me. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, it's Slim Goodbody, guys. And no one knew who he was. But I was so happy it was in there because it was such a flash from the past and a big part of my childhood. Like, SBJ, do you know who Slim Goodbody was? No, no, not at all. So, so good. Anyway, sorry. Continue, sir. I'll just chime in every once in a while to crush on some favorite cards. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's 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 pretty much it. And so but then there are these points where, like, you you publish the game, you send it off and you approve the proofs. And then all of a sudden something like Harambe happens and you're like, God damn it. Yeah, that's something that, like, in the future, I would I would love to figure out a way to like iterate that process. My dream, which is like, it just doesn't seem possible at the scale. Like if you were at a Cards Against Humanity scale, you could maybe do this, but like have a, have an expansion pack like every month, like have someone like subscribe to the like monikers of oh. Club or something like that. That would be oh, like, like, like almost like a booster pack where you're getting like exactly. 15 cards. Exactly. You got a like subscriber a in size. me, man. I'll do I know. That. I just like, I've been trying to figure out how to make that happen. And maybe if we had our, if we get, if we, if we get like, you know, maybe like two or three times the size of like what monikers currently is. Maybe target sales are great or whatever. Maybe we can sort of talk our um, the printer we're using in the U.S. for our um, for our retail distribution. Maybe they would be interested in doing something like that. Or the other option that's still a pipe dream um, is doing an app version of monikers where you could subscribe and get packs like that. That would be a way easier way to do it because it would just be a matter of like you know uploading a bunch of lines right each month but um but that's still sort of you know we'll probably release one eventually but that's probably not until next year okay um to flip gears a little bit uh i saw that alan recently backed uh an- another version of werewolf on kickstarter i did i think so <laughs> I get emails oh. every time all my friends back things, and like Alan, by far is the yeah, most. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure if if it's if I've it's anything. I've cut down, guys. I'm uh, down to a pack a day. If uh, <laughs> but where I was going with this is on Kickstarter or anywhere else, there are a million different versions of Werewolf because it's a folk game, and I am a sucker for if if your Werewolf copy game looks good and the art is great. I will buy it just on principle of like, you can never have too many different versions of werewolf, but do you worry that, do you worry that anyone could just make their own version of monikers and try to compete in that same space? Because again, monikers is just based off a of folklore game and I don't know, you look at cards against Manny, it's just based on, uh, apples to apples. So does that worry you? Is that a concern? Is that something that you've guys thought about? Uh, it's definitely something we thought about, but more, more towards the we're the people doing the thing that other people don't want us to do, I guess, because there were like box versions of the game out there before. Um, but I mean, the one thing that I will say about monikers, like I kind of, you know, I don't want to like brag about my own shit too much, but like I do think there's something really special about the like the voice and tone of monikers that like would be really hard to replicate. Um, I'll back it, you up, sir. That's exactly what you're talking about. Sean and I just had this conversation freaking yesterday because I was talking about our monikers experience. And he said, you know, what's funny is if we had thought of monikers before Alex and Justin, we wouldn't have published it. And I totally agreed. You're right. Because we would think, ah, you know, our voice isn't really it's not doesn't really fit our company. And as I'm playing the game, like when I see Slim Goodbody, it tickles me not just because I love Slim Goodbody, but it just reeks of Alex and Justin. So it, it definitely has this cultivation. So the answer for that question that I would say would be exactly I think what you're kind of saying is everyone else can try to do it and maybe they'll come up with fantastic. But I think you've really cultivated this feeling, this sense that, oh, this is the Alex and Justin monikers with the art. And I hate saying highbrow, but it's a great combination of highbrow and lowbrow at the same time. It's amazing. 
Yeah, and I mean, there are other, like, you know, I mean, there are other games that are out there. Like, I guess, like, the most famous one is Time's Up. And, like, that has a huge audience among people who, like, uh, they're sort of, like, Board Game Geek user community. It was something that, like, we thought about before we launched the Kickstarter. They're like, oh, there's this sort of, like, competing thing out there that's also a box version of this folk game. Um, but it just is so different in the way it looks and the way it feels and the way it plays. I actually, like... Never even got around to playing it until after we published Monikers, but after seeing it, I'm like, oh yeah, this this feels totally, totally, totally different. It's almost, I mean, it's basically it somehow has nearly an identical set of rules and yet is a totally different feeling game. You guys, you know what I just realized, which is probably too late and too horrible, and you can even edit this out if you want, SPJ. We've talked about monikers before, but in this episode, we haven't even explained what monikers is, like how you actually play it. So Anyone listening to this that has never played or heard of Monikers probably stopped listening I, by I now. I feel like if if they're listening, though, they know what Monikers is. It's just like, I feel like anyone listening to this podcast probably knows what Werewolf is, right? Yeah. 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 Maybe. I mean, I do think there are like two, I, I don't know, in my mind, there are like two classic party games and like one is Werewolf. And there are a million versions of Werewolf out there. And the other one that, like, I've always loved just a little bit more than Werewolf is, you know, whatever you want to call this folk game, whether it's Celebrity or Celebrities or Fishbowl or the Hat Game or whatever. And, like, there just aren't that many copies of it out there. And I guess it's just because it does actually take a lot of time to produce the, like, list of shit versus, like, Werewolf is just sort of an exercise in, like, art direction a lot of the time. Do you have any more folk games that could possibly translate into card slash Kickstarter forms that I can start working on after <laughs> this podcast? I mean, we the one we've been trying to crack that Alan knows about is we've been trying to crack Fuck, Mary Kill and making an interesting card version of that. And like there's actually a kick, someone else did a Kickstarter for that fairly recently. Um, but I just, recently, I, just I, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it looks fine. Um, but like it's still not, again, it's just sort of like, we only want to do it if it really gets the like the voice and tone of us right and like that one is like way off of that so um so we may do that one but yeah i mean i'm sure there are a million <laughs> um i mean te- I like telestrations is another one right like fax machine is a folk game and it's ridiculously fun yeah. and like i don't think that's been truly like that concept has been explored nearly enough even though there are a couple games out there there could still definitely be more with like a little bit more personality than the current offerings Oh, I was just going to say, you look at a game like Werewolf and there's still an audience for people who want new versions of Werewolf just based on art or maybe that the set just has like one or two inst- uh, interesting roles that they've never seen before or something. But yeah, I, I don't know. That market always seems somewhat pretty open and willing for slight variations. That's it. One Night Ultimate Alien. That's the game you're talking about. It's the next game by Ted Elspeck. I'll back anything that guy makes because he's a he's awesome. And the One Night Ultimate games are awesome. Anyway, you said you're working on on that folk game, but uh, I went through your your created by on Kickstarter, and it looks like you had a failed Kickstarter pretty recently. We did. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, What's it so like we, failing uh, Kickstarter? <laughs> Jesus, um, some really deep cutting journalism going on in this episode. I really like it, SBJ. You go, you go places. You go I, there. Well, if you don't yeah, ask, yeah, if, you, like, if you don't ask harder oh, questions, I'm, people aren't like people get bored and they turn it off. I guess I don't know. That's no, I'm good. That, like, does not get talked about very often. I feel like in our industry, either like is I don't know. I feel like everybody has like a failure or two behind them. Um, and yet they sort of, I don't know, part of the nice thing about Kickstarter is obviously like the cost of failing is so low, like whatever, like opportunity cost you had while you were like working on the game. Like, of course that's quote unquote lost. Um, but you haven't, you know, you haven't produced 5,000 units of something and all of a sudden the world just says like, fuck you, we have no interest in this thing that you made. Um, you get the world telling you, fuck you way earlier than that. Um, so, so we made, um, it was like a side project. So basically like I am switching over to doing game design, like a little bit more closer to full time now. And so this was kind of this little like transition project that I was working on called Trump cards. It was just sort of a joke game set in like this dystopian universe where Donald Trump is elected president. And the first thing that he does is enact an executive order requiring people to purchase and play a game called Trump cards. That's sort of this like, Hey, geographic, like, uh, 
tribute to his his rise and trip to the presidency. And so it's it, it was played with like, I mean, you can essentially play it with a standard deck of cards, right? It's a it's a trick taking game um, with the with the twist that uh, that you basically don't want to play the lowest card because if you play the lowest card, you get the trump card and you have to play the trump card that round instead of a card from your hand. And because the goal of the game is getting rid of all of your cards, that's bad. Um, and that's essentially all the game is. Uh, but the fun part was I had found, I had bought a, I had actually kickstarted a deck of cards, um, by, uh, this studio called humble Raja, uh, Bavash and Rena mystery. Uh, there's some designers that live in Montreal, I think, and they are just beautiful. Everybody should buy them. They're called Kings of India. And they're just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous line drawings of, uh, of sort of like Rajasthani royalty. And I, I just had an idea for a game. And I'm like, what if we worked with these guys to do a sort of like a set that had, you know, contemporary political characters in it. And so all the suits were, you know, Republicans, Democrats, the press. And then like there was one suit that was just Trump. Um, and it was just like all versions of Trump. And so working with them was just super, super, super fulfilling. And like really the thing that's most upsetting about the Kickstarter is that they did such amazing work on the graphic design of the game. And, you know, the game is like fine. It's a fun trick taking game, but it's sort of more intended as kind of this like goofy, like art object or something like that, or souvenir of like this weird presidential election. And so I think, you know, looking back on it, like maybe that wasn't communicated well enough or maybe like people had just sort of like reached peak Trump and they didn't want to like indulge in some like speculative fiction game where like Trump is president or something like that. Um, but like, I, you know, like so many people have come up to me, like, and admittedly they're sort of like friends of mine or they know me or something. And they're just like, I can't believe people didn't back this project. Cause it's just gorgeous. It's just like a deck of cards for $15. Um, that's like a really, really, really beautiful, interesting deck of cards. But um but yeah for whatever reason like the world was just like profoundly uninterested in in this project um and so at the end of the day you also kind of never really know why like you have like guesses about like why it failed but like if it's a thing that you think is good and you've also made and sold good things before <laughs> it like you you think you have like a solid like grasp of that but in some ways you you sort of don't yeah, it's. I mean, you can you can look at your first Kickstarter and you had two thousand backers, and you look at your last Kickstarter and you had one hundred ninety backers, and you would think that, oh, I should have two thousand backers like right off the bat, kind of thing. But yeah, we we mailed it to our list, like you know, like I with an email that I look back on, thinking like, oh, this is like a really interesting email. Like the subject line is like, fuck, I would like click that email and I would, and you know, the, the copy was really persuasive and interesting and like, man, just crickets. Like I, I think it might've like, yeah, I mean, it just like, I think the political part was really hard because it was not, it was not so pandering that it was like, I don't know, would get coverage on like Huffington post or something like that. And it also wasn't like, I don't know. It was just a sort of like weird art project or something that maybe was neither here nor there. Um, but well, I think it was definitely anti-Trump because you even oh, had yeah. Trump. Yeah. So it's pretty blatantly anti-Trump. So, uh, it didn't skirt the line there. I don't think. Yeah. And me, but it wasn't like, I guess it wasn't like aggressive. I don't know. It was, it was pretty aggressive. It was actually like, I don't know. It was like looking back at the Kickstarter page, it is really fucking dark. And I just, I don't know. Maybe it was just too dark. Like the person that I had do the art, like did a, amazing job but it does i mean it is like it is like pitch black um in a way that it's like do people want to buy a silly game like that and i don't know i you know i mean i think i would have kind of done the same thing before but it was also like this weird period of my life earlier this year where i was like going through a like fairly bad breakup and i just like felt like crap and i like maybe i just like i just like psychically like imbued the game with this sort of like all this sort of like weird anxiety and like anger and frustration or something. And that's maybe like somehow like people picked up on that. Are you single now? I am single now. You heard it now. <laughs> you heard it here on Tuesday night podcast. Exclusive. Alex single. <laughs> uh, Alan, do you have any uh, questions? I feel, I feel like you probably had a sure, million just... and I stomped all over them. Oh uh, no, you did great. Uh, so do you think the project would have done better if it, instead of having the game attached, the more, the focus was more on just, Hey, this is a Trump 
themed deck of cards or a, or a political themed deck of cards? Do you think it would have done better then, Alex? I think if I had it to do over again, that's probably what I would try to do. I don't know if, if it would have done any better. Like the thing that I found really weird was um, just sort of like the people that I can usually like talk to and like sort of like get interest in like press from and everything like that. They were just like not touching the shit with a 10 foot pole. So I think potentially what happened was that like in terms of that outreach, people just like didn't want to see any more like Trump stuff. And there are definitely like Trump things that have like, you know, sort of more like, I don't know what I think of as sort of more like pandering cynical shit that, that have got, that's gotten funded, but I don't know. That's just like not the stuff that I'm interested in making. Like, I don't know this like weird conceptual game set in a dystopian universe was kind of the thing that we made and wanted to see exist in the world. So like, I mean, you, I don't want to say like, I don't care if it failed, but like, because like, I would love for it to exist in the world. Like I, in some ways it's like from an art, art direction standpoint, it's maybe like the best thing that I've ever done. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't know, that was, that was the thing. Um, Agreed. It was totally gorgeous. And I felt the kick a little bit, too, because I encouraged you much like I did monikers. I said, I think this will be a cash grab, man, because it's totally relevant in our society right now. It's a trick taking game and the cards are gorgeous. Why wouldn't someone back it? And when it was failing, I I was right there possibly with you thinking, oh, man, I really don't have my fingers on the pulse of what's going on. And that's a scary thing because there's something known as the false consensus bias in psychology. <laughs> I'm going to geek out. And that's where we have a tendency to believe that everyone around us agrees with our beliefs. And that's why we're shocked when we verbalize them and find out, oh, no, uh, apparently Bruce doesn't believe in global warming. I thought this was kind of a consensus in our friend of groups, but <laughs> our group of friends rather. But uh, I want to I want to give Alex a break of break from talking here and uh, transition off the failed Trump Kickstarter to the <laughs> somewhat popular Hitler Kickstarter. Because uh, Alan played some more Secret Hitler and that seems to be all the rage still. Yeah. So... You, what do you want, SBJ? You tell me. Guide so, me through this. So, last week, or you said that you thought it was better than The Resistance. Yes. And I keep seeing, you know, everyone says that it's better than The Resistance in, yes. you know, most aspects. Do you First off, do you still think it's better than The Resistance after playing it again? Yes. And you played with first, I think, six people, and now you played with eight. So yeah, we played tons of games with six, seven players, and there's different placards that you use. And the amazing thing is when your player count changes, you did get different abilities. And when we say different abilities, there is uh, edicts, basically, these policies that either the fascists put in place or the, the liberals put in place. And for every policy of that type that gets put in place, that team is one step closer to victory. But the fascinating thing is there's a deck of cards that have fascist and liberal policies, but there's 11 fascist policies and only six liberal policies. And that gives you a room for deniability because if all of a sudden a fascist policy gets played, you could say, well, there were only fascist policies because the way the game works is the president, basically the leader, draws three policies, discards one and passes two to the chancellor. And then the chancellor looks at those two and chooses one to put in play. So between those two players, it's totally possible that just three fascist policies were drawn. So there's this room for deniability, but that also increases suspicion. Also, there's abilities that the president gets if fascist policies policies get enacted. And the last of those policies, the last two, are always the president gets to shoot someone is where the elimination factor comes into the game. And so one of the excuses someone could say is, I enacted a fascist policy, not in hopes that the fascists would win, but so I could shoot someone because I'm pretty sure I think Alex is Hitler. So I put a fascist policy so I could kill Alex. So there's this room for deniability. 
So there's different abilities that show up based on the player count. And when we bumped up to eight players, we got a different ability. And that ability was whoever was president, when this fascist policy goes into place, you get to look at someone's allegiance card. So you know for a fact if someone is a fascist or if they're a liberal. Now, if you see a fascist card, you don't know if they're just a regular fascist or if they're the secret Hitler. Oh, okay. But yeah, so that was the big difference. And I have to admit, didn't like it as much with eight players because that made it even more like the resistance where there wasn't any room for any deniability whatsoever. So this totally led or could lead to a situation where it's a he said, she said. So up. He's a fascist. Bull crap. I'm not a fascist. Well, now everyone knows that at least one of the two of you are a fascist at the very least. Maybe you're both fascists playing against each other, but chances are pretty good. We're going to try to ignore you for the rest of the game. So that's it kind of it's pretty much another bit. form of elimination. <laughs> it kind of is. It kind of is. The fascinating thing about the game is you cannot elect a president or a chancellor. Sorry, you can't elect a chancellor that was just previously elected. So like if I was president and I chose you to go on a mis mission SBJ, neither one of us could be elected or chosen as a chancellor option. So it's always, almost always two different people going on the next mission, I'll just say, the next round. So anyway, I didn't like it as much. And I was really surprised because we had a new player who is a huge fan, her name's Michelle, and Michelle's a huge fan of these hidden role games, and she's really cutthroat. She's one of these players that thrives off of the misery of others. In fact, some people have complained, you know what your problem is, Michelle? It's not that you like to win. It's that you like to have other people lose. So just keep that in mind that she's cutthroat. And I was amazed because she loves the resistance. She loves werewolf. She doesn't like secret Hitler. And I asked, of course, why don't you like secret Hitler? And her answer was because of that deniability. It was too flimsy. But now I don't understand because then why do you like werewolf? Because werewolf is just totally reading people. There isn't that for sure knowledge that someone is on one team or the other. But anyway, so uh, a little bit less. And I knew I know I know this will keep on happening. It just has that potential for an emotionally explosive bad time, as we talked about before. Yeah. So I think it will get older and older as time goes on. But it's definitely worth playing. If someone brings it to the table and it's a good, friendly group, I still strongly recommend, at the very least, you give it a try. I wonder if it'll like stand up with the test of time. I know people say that right now it's better than the resistance, but the resistance has kind of proven itself over the last couple of years to, to stay relevant. And that kind of just speaks to how good that game is, whether or not you like it or not. It's, it's brought up a lot. <laughs> Secret Hitler is a lot easier to teach than Resistance, and it's super easy to teach if you've ever played the Resistance. And I think that's why most people will say, oh, Secret Hitler is much easier to understand because most of those people, I can guarantee, have played Resistance because they're making that comparison. But it's not a truly fair comparison because they already have the knowledge of the Resistance helping them understand secret Hitler. So I, I guess the only way to do this empirically, scientifically, is you find two people who have never played either and you teach one, one, the other, the other, compare notes, etc. But anyway, I think secret Hitler is going to last just as well as resistance. And I'm sorry, Travis Worthington, he's a friend. He's the guy who owns indie port and cards. But yeah, secret Hitler is going to stay. <laughs> it seems like there's room for both, right? It just seems like there's this unending appetite for sort of hidden role type werewolf derived social games that like i would have never guessed that at the beginning but like it yeah it seems like there is a world in which like both are extremely popular for the next several years i know of several small conventions that friends get together and all they do is they run the gambit of all the different social role games they play good cop bad cop resistance werewolf two rooms in a boom don't mess with Cthulhu. You know, all these different hidden role games. One Night Ultimate Werewolf, Cause of Death Ghost. And I, they just go through all these hidden role games. I think the reason why I like hidden role games the most is because it it almost forces everyone to be involved. Unlike like a game of Monopoly, you don't really need to pay attention when it's not your turn. Um, but also like a hidden role game always has a climax of, oh my God. 
this happened or you were lying or like it's almost like here's the twist of the movie the game i couldn't agree with you more it, the big thing is no downtime you're always engaged yeah i think uh we've been going for an hour uh alex last question what's your favorite board game oh my god um <laughs> that is a really hard question um or a couple favorite... if there's like two or three yeah, that stand I mean... out I think my favorite strategy game is Terra Mystica still. Um, that's probably the game if like, you know, I, I know I have a group of friends that are really, really into sort of more hardcore games and we're, you know, we get together very infrequently. Oh God, I don't think I've, I don't think I've played it recently enough that I could really like pitch it to people. Also like it's just, Man, it is it is a pretty hard game to like onboard people on, right? I mean, have you guys both played it? I own it. I've I never have played never it. played it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn. The reason I've never played it is I said, "Oh, this game looks gorgeous." They said, "Yeah, you want to learn how to play?" I'm like, "Sure. How long will it take to learn how to play?" "Oh, about an hour." "Fuck yep. you. I'm out." Yep. It's terrible. I and then like but like it has this magical aspect where you look at the board after you know how to play it and all of the sort of like iconography and design of the board like makes total and complete logical sense. So it is a game that if you learn it once, you're able to jump back into it pretty quickly because the design of the game is so good. Um, but at the same time, it's just, it's opaque as hell also because it's like, you know, it's one of these games that's like fairly language independent. So you just have a lot of symbols on the board. And it's also, it's also just a game where I literally have no idea how the person designed it. Like they're just the <laughs> mechanics make no sense being combined together. And yet they work. Like, I don't understand why you would combine like terraforming and sort of like this, like weird form of like area control with these like components about like, Oh, you can use a secret ability if you burn these like things in your power bowl or whatever. Like it makes absolutely no sense about like why you would, why you would think like, Oh, we should like layer on this or that mechanic. And yet somehow as a gestalt, um it's really one of the best strategy games of all time i love because i have this idea of when you said once you learn how to play it all makes sense it just makes me think of rowdy Roddy piper and they live when he puts on the glasses and then he can see all this hidden writing so the average person when they look at this board makes no sense but once you learn all of a sudden you see <laughs> oh my god can we make a game like based in that universe like maybe you like wear glasses and there's like alex shut up right now and let's board. do it let's collaborate <laughs> Man. That would be so amazing. Let's get the license. All right. Well, I guess that is a good time to wrap up the show before Alan reveals more of his future game plan. <laughs> Just work with Alex any way I can. That's my future. Well, uh, thank you so much, Alex, for being here and giving us the the curtain reveal behind monikers and yourself. Oh yeah, anytime. This was super fun. Awesome. What's your next project? Don't you have one coming up? Yeah, so we are, um, so actually we- Make it quick, we, Alex. Yeah, yeah, I'll make it quick. Uh, <laughs> so we <laughs> so we showed a game at PAX at the Indie Mega Booth called Thanks for Coming In. It's like a, uh, you're, pitching, you're pitching sort of absurd startup ideas to your friends. So it's basically an acting game along the lines of Fun Employed, or if you've played that, or Snake Oil or something like that, except instead of having to do really, really, really long sort of acting exercises, you have to give a pitch that's as short as five seconds. So what I, the way sort of like I am interested in thinking about it is I really wanted to make an acting game for introverts or an acting game that like I don't absolutely hate playing. And this sort of has started to fit the bill. Nice. Cool. Alex, where can our listeners find you and your games? Oh, man. You can find me. Uh, my Twitter handle is ALX Hague, H-A-G-U-E. Um, and then Monikers is it on Amazon or at monikersgame.com. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for being here. Alan, do your, do your spiel. Uh, <laughs> I'm... I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R Ding. You can find me on the Facebook or at Alan Gerding on the tweets. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. You can follow me on Twitter at Dragging A Lake. You can also follow the podcast or just Tuesday Night Games in general on Twitter at Play PKG. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us over at Tuesday Night Games. Wait. Yes podcast at tuesdaynightgames.com getting ahead of myself 
Podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Otherwise, this episode is... Wait, I say it. And you say it. Finished. 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 <laughs>